and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. No Christian man wants to fail Jesus, but how do we keep our inner fire to live for him burning hot when we do fail him over and over again, and when we're deeply disheartened by the direction our culture is taking right now? It's easy to feel like Satan and sin are winning, so what's the use The goal of this episode is to stoke the fire of our passion to stay focused on the mission Christ has assigned to us because we see more fully how important that mission is. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 27 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. This podcast is about the day you will hear Jesus whisper in your ear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's about staying focused upon what will matter the most to you and me at that moment. That, of course, will be how faithfully we devoted ourselves to the mission he called us to accomplish. Paul says to all believers, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I can't think of many important missions that have ever been accomplished accidentally, haphazardly, or randomly. Fulfilling the mission assigned to us by our Lord requires us to focus to be intentional, to lock on to God's purposes for our lives so we can pursue them. Rick Warren points out that the very process of sharpening our focus upon God's purpose for us energizes us. He writes, knowing your purpose motivates your life. Purpose always produces passion. Nothing energizes like a clear purpose. On the other hand, passion dissipates when you lack purpose. Just getting out of bed becomes a major chore. It's usually meaningless work, not overwork, that wears us down, saps our strength, and robs our joy. So what is God's purpose for your life? A thorough study of Scripture reveals that no matter what lens we look through, Christ's mission for us is composed of three parts. We are first called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. Second, called to be like Christ, to grow in Christ-like character. And third, called to exercise dominion for Christ, to bring about Christ's agenda in every sphere of life, in our role as husband, father, employee or employer, neighbor, church member, steward of resources, or ambassador of the kingdom. We see these same three parts, for example, in our call to discipleship. A disciple had a close personal bond with his master. We are called to Christ. A disciple in that day tried to pattern his life to be like his master, called to be like Christ. A disciple in Jesus' day was one who embraced the cause of his master, called to exercise dominion for Christ, to spread the righteous rule of Christ over earth. We see the same three elements through the lens of our moral responsibility. We are commanded, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We are called to Christ. Be holy as I am holy. We are called to be like Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
we are called to exercise dominion for Christ. In fact, even Christ's ministry to us as the anointed one fits these three categories. As priest, Christ unites us to God. We are called to Christ. As prophet, he makes us holy. We are called to be like Christ. As king, Christ establishes the righteous rule of God on earth. We are called to exercise dominion for Christ. Today, we want to go deeper in understanding God's purpose for our everyday lives by examining God's purpose in creating Adam and Eve to be his image bearers. As we unpack the term image bearer, we'll see this term pointing to three distinct parts of our mission that just might sound familiar. But let's look at what the scripture teaches. In Genesis 1, 27 to 28, we read, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The expression image of God is used uniquely with reference to human beings, and so sets them apart from the other creatures. There are three distinct aspects of being created in God's image that reveal what God created us for. First, image bearers have the capacity for a love relationship with God. We are called to Christ. Being made in God's image means first that we are created with a capacity to communicate with God. He gave people ears to show that he hears the cry of the afflicted and eyes to show that he sees the plight of the pitiful. See Psalm 94. Deeply rooted in the concept of being made in God's image is the truth that we are created to enjoy fellowship with God himself portrayed in Genesis 3 as walking together in the garden in the cool of the day. But, of course, Adam and Eve's rebellion broke their relationship with God, that being portrayed in Genesis 3 by them making clothes to cover their nakedness, feeling ashamed, and being cast out of the garden away from the holy presence of God. But Christ suffered the ultimate separation from God, to bear our sin and redeem us from the presence, penalty, and power of sin. The starting point of our redemption, then, is being restored to fellowship with God, adopted into his presence. So every Christian's calling begins with the call to Christ, to enjoy a love relationship with him. The first part of our calling addresses the core issue of our heart's primary loyalty, asking, who is our first love? This aspect of our calling is expressed in the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus also said to his disciples, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The bullseye of our mission objective as Christ followers, therefore, is enjoying and deepening our love relationship with Christ. John Piper, in his book Desiring God, makes a strong case that Christians should be hedonists, meaning that we are designed to find the deepest, most heart-satisfying of pleasures in our love relationship with God. 
The biblical metaphor for this calling to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him is the mutual delight of bride and groom in each other. Christ is the bridegroom who looks upon us with delight, Isaiah 62, 5. And we in turn are told, delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Think about that command for a minute. God actually commands me to delight myself in the Lord, to step away from my crazy busy life and take time to feast my soul with pleasure by delighting in who the Lord is and dwelling upon how much he delights in me. This is actually quite parallel to a married couple making time in their schedule to be captured by delight for one another in the process of lovemaking. Just as sex strengthens the bond of love and gives pleasure, delighting in the Lord strengthens our bond and gives us pleasure. May I ask, how often do you make time to feast on the Lord's love for you, replenishing your soul by delighting in Him and in His delight of you? Scotty Smith, in his book, Objects of His Affection, poses this convicting question, which I mention a lot on my podcast. What would it feel like in your heart to know that God not only accepts you, but that he richly enjoys you? To know that your company is his pleasure. Your fellowship is his joy. Your face, his delight. What effect would that have on how you think about God, yourself, and others? The second aspect of being made in God's image is that we are created to bear the image of God's holiness. We are called to be like Christ. New Testament scholar Bruce Waltke identifies a second aspect of being made in the image of God. He writes, an image represents the presence of the one represented. We are to be like God. Created with a spiritual nature, we are called to reflect his moral presence holiness as we rule over our kingdom. The irony is that our parents, Adam and Eve, wanted to be like God, but it was in authority and status rather than like him in holiness. To be made in God's image is to be given the high calling of showing his moral attributes to the created world. But Adam's sin corrupted every attitude of the human heart. God's image in man is marred. Christ's resurrection proves that the slavery of Adam's kingdom to Satan, sin, and death has been broken. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is remaking us back into images of Christ, the perfect God-man. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus revealed the prominence of this part of our mission, our heart attitudes being transformed, by beginning his portrait of kingdom living, Matthew 5-7, through with eight kingdom attitudes that reveal the new transformed humanity. The hardships and trials God brings into our lives will never make sense to us until we grasp God's commitment to this second part of our mission, called to be like Christ. 
Here's a quick inventory to assess how we're doing at building Christ-like attitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. How might God be teaching you that you have to depend on Christ more? Blessed are those who mourn, those who grieve over the damage caused by sin. How might God be helping you learn how powerful and destructive sin is? Blessed are the meek, those who surrender their rights to Christ. How might God be teaching you that a specific area of your life is not surrendered to him? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who long for the universe and its inhabitants to be restored to rightness. What does, for example, your prayer life indicate about how much you long for others to prosper spiritually? Blessed are the merciful, those who exhibit compassion for those whose lives have been broken by sin, including those who have wronged me. How might God be teaching you to give more grace to others, allowing them to fail or hurt you or those you love? Blessed are the pure in heart, those whose decisions are driven by unselfish motives. How might God be helping you to love better those who are not easy to love? Blessed are the peacemakers, those committed to restoring broken relationships. Is there a broken relationship you need to do your part to fix? Finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake those who are willing to suffer by taking a stand for what is right. Where might you anticipate opportunities to speak into conversations winsomely, promoting biblical truth? Tomorrow morning, our mission is to show Jesus to whomever God has placed in our world by demonstrating attitudes like these, being like Christ. The third observation about our design as image bearers is that the word image bearer in that culture meant to rule on behalf of a deity. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke explains this foundational aspect of being made in the image of God, representing his kingly rule, exercising dominion for Christ. He writes, inseparable from the notion of serving as a representative, the image functions as a ruler in the place of the deity. In the ancient Near East, it was widely believed that a god's spirit lived in any statue or image of the god, with the result that the image could function as a kind of representative of or substitute for the god wherever it was placed. It was also customary in the ancient Near East to think of a king as a representative of a god. Obviously, the king ruled, and the god was the ultimate ruler, so the king must be ruling on the god's behalf. It is therefore not surprising that these two separate ideas became connected, and a king came to be described as the image of God. The Genesis 127 mention of Adam and Eve's design to be image bearers makes clear that the concept of kingdom occurs in the very first chapter of the Bible at the creation of man and woman. The text is saying that exercising royal dominion over the earth as God's representative is the basic purpose for which God created man. Man is appointed king over creation, responsible to God, the ultimate king. 
and as such expected to develop and care for creation. Michael Craven of the Colson Center makes a startling statement about mankind's calling to rule over creation. He suggests dominion is the plot of the Bible. Redemption is the subplot. In other words, at the very heart of our mission is exercising dominion, ruling over every sphere of life, shaping it for the high king. Adam and Eve's rebellion, of course, brings corruption to all of human life. Man's relationship with God, with himself, with others, and with creation is broken. Another scholar points out, we are born into a world in which for centuries sin has damaged the great interactive network of shalom, snapping or twisting the thousands of bonds that give particular beings integrity and that tie them to others. Corruption is thus a dynamic motif in the Christian understanding of sin. It is the multiplying power of all of sin to spoil a good creation. Instead of building culture for God's glory, Adam's fallen race builds culture for its own glory. We see this reality dramatically portrayed in the building of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, we read that they said to one another, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language. Here we see fallen man's attempts to build culture independently from God. And notice the tremendous culture-creating capacities that God has created for us to have. He himself says nothing will be impossible for them. God's plan of redemption has a much larger purpose than just our personal private salvation from this world. It is the salvation of this world, redeeming everything presently broken by the fall. God's purpose in salvation is restored dominion. Man restored to his place as a godly culture maker, following Jesus, the second Adam, as through his resurrection power, we spread Jesus' kingdom of righteousness over earth. Well, how does this kingdom influence grow? Through doing what you can to implement Christ's agenda in every sphere of your life, your family, extended family, workplace, neighborhood, internet connections, community, nation world. The goal of this podcast is to keep us all focused on our mission. So we identify Christ's agenda in each of these spheres, how to love your wife, disciple your kids, view the workplace, share your faith, and so forth. But today I want to leave you with something practical in this broad third category of our mission, exercising dominion for Christ. As you think about this general overall call to shape culture, here are four questions used by the Colson Center for Christian Worldview to help you determine how you might be engaged in impacting culture. First, what is good in this world that I can preserve and promote and protect? Second, what is missing in this world that I can contribute? Third, what is evil in this world that I can oppose? Fourth, what is broken in this world 
that I can restore. As I finish this overview of our three-part mission, called to Christ, called to be like Christ, and called to exercise dominion for Christ, a fresh fire grows in my belly as I remember that it is Jesus who personally called me to this mission. Os Guinness asks, Do you want to accept a challenge that will be the integrating dynamic of your whole life? One that will engage your loftiest thoughts? your most dedicated exertions, your deepest emotions, all your abilities and resources to the last step you take and the last breath you breathe. Listen to Jesus of Nazareth. Answer his call. summarize this episode, spiritual passion cools when we lose sight of the enormous privilege it is to be personally called to our mission by our Lord. He did not choose everyone to be his followers, but he did choose us. We saw that our mission is the restoration of Adam and Eve's original calling as image bearers. First, being made in God's likeness means there is an overlap of our nature with God's nature so that we can communicate with and love one another. God created us for himself, and he is the answer to our deepest longings. Second, in bearing God's image, Adam and Eve were also to image God's holiness. Each day of our lives, God brings circumstances into our lives that he wants to use to transform our inner heart attitudes back into our original image-bearer calling, demonstrating Christ-like character. Third, and finally, we saw that Adam and Eve's call to exercise dominion, developing the potential of creation, is in many respects the plot of the entire Bible. In Christ, Adam's seed is restored to his original primary purpose of being a godly culture maker. We best glorify God when we act as his deputies, redeeming culture and creation, as well as individuals. For further prayerful thought, number one, what are the obstacles that are preventing you from delighting your heart in the Lord? See your show notes for more questions. I hope you have honored the special women in your life who are moms or would like to be this past weekend. For more insight and maybe inspiration, you might check out our series from last year, a three-week series, Helping Our Daughters Flourish, Episodes 26 through 28, season 1, May 3rd through the 17th, last year. Next week, we continue our four-week series, Igniting Fire for Our Mission in a Disheartening World. Since our call to Christ to enjoy and deepen our love relationship with Him is so foundational to accomplishing the rest of our mission, our topic will be obstacles to walking closely with Christ. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.